This webinar recording is brought to you by Islam and Liberty Network. If you are looking for more, you can find it on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. Pichan Sahin is an Associate Professor of Political Science at the Department of Political Science and Public Administration at Hacha Tepe University, Ankara, Turkey. He is also the President of Freedom Research Association, a liberal think tank based in Ankara. He received his PhD at the University of Maryland College Park in 2003. Among his research topics are classical liberal and libertarian philosophy, the relation between liberal democracy and Islam, and the relationship between the state and civil society in Turkey. Our host today is Ali Salman. The topic is Political and Civil Liberty, Why Secular Framework is Better for Faith. We have today with us Dr. Bijan Shaheen as our speaker. For uh, today's uh, webinar, we have chosen a very important topic, which Bijan uh, have worked as a discussion between the, uh, the role of uh, religion and role of secularism in running the matter of the state, particularly in societies with uh, practice of faith are very important. And question on the topic we are discussing today is whether a secular framework or a religious framework, that is a system of law based either on a religion, which one is more appropriate for part of the faith. I'd like to hand over to Bijan for his opening statement and presentation on this topic. All right. Hello, everyone. Does everyone hear me well? I hope you can hear me well. And I am very pleased to speak and share my views on this issue with you. In my presentation, I will start with a definition of freedom and then move from there to discuss freedom of uh, religion and conscience and the relationship between secularism and uh, freedom of conscience. As you may all be uh, aware, freedom can be defined as the ability to lead our lives as we wish. This requires that we are left alone. We are not interfered from outside and we will be um, tolerated and we will be left uh, with our own decisions in terms of leading our lives. This is usually described or designated as negative freedom, meaning a person is free to the extent that he or she is not interfered from outside. Sometimes this is referred to as freedom from, freedom from intervention, freedom from oppression, for example. So, in opposition to negative freedom, meaning freedom as being alone or being left alone, we see also the concept of positive freedom, according to which a person can be free only when she or he has some power to do things that she wishes to do. So in this perspective, which is called positive freedom, a person may be left alone, a person may have a private sphere in which Nobody interferes with her decisions. However, if she does not have, let's say, material resources, she is not considered to be a free person. This is the understanding of positive freedom. Another interpretation of positive freedom is that freedom is related 
with how you use your freedom, meaning nobody will interfere with you, but that doesn't make you free. Are you going to use this opportunity of being left alone to use good things or bad things? If you choose to do good things, then you can be considered as a free person. So this is different, two different interpretations of uh, positive freedom. First one, first interpretation tells us that we need to have material things before we can consider ourselves as free persons. If I don't have money to buy a ticket to fly to Malaysia, then the fact that I have a passport does not make me free. Because if I don't have the money, even if there is no barriers in front of my travel to Malaysia, since I do not have money to buy a ticket, I cannot in reality fly to Malaysia. This is positive freedom in terms of material ability, resources. The other uh, interpretation of positive freedom is that uh, you are free only when you choose the right to do the right thing. So liberals tend to think that in this distinction between negative and positive freedoms, we liberals should side with negative freedoms because positive freedoms can be subjective, especially this uh, positive freedom. That is, who will decide what is worthwhile or not? Something that I want to do may not be appealing to you. You despise it. You may dislike it. But I may, however, want to do it. If we say that, okay, you have the ability to decide uh, what is right, what is wrong, or what is freedom, what is not, then you may prevent me from doing the thing that I want to do. So this is a restrictive understanding for liberals. So liberals just say that as long as we are left alone, we are not interfered from outside, we are free. Now, this is the general discussion of freedom. Let's put this aside for now. I would like to go now with the discussion of freedom of conscience and religion. Before doing that, I would like to briefly talk about uh, conscience. Adam Smith, one of the founding fathers of liberal thinking, liberal thought, says that conscience is the man within our breast who tells us what is right, what is wrong. Conscience. When we do something in accordance with our conscience, we feel good, we feel rectitude. On the other hand, when we do something against our conscience, we feel remorse, we feel bad about, about it, right? So we want to make it up many times. So there is a reward and a punishment process within every individual, within every individual that has conscience so to speak. And in this respect, some liberals think that this is a very important ability and we have great interest to follow our conscience. In fact, one of the contemporary liberal thinkers named Chandran Kukatas, who is an ethnic Tamil from Malaysia, but citizen of Australia and working in 
London School of Economics. He says, argues that leading a life according to our conscience is the basic human interest. Stated again, stated differently, the ability to lead a life according to our own conscience is our fundamental human interest. He says, in a sense, what distinguishes from other creatures is that we have conscience and human beings want to live according to their consciences. So in this respect, he uh, places freedom of conscience and religion at the top of a uh, liberal agenda. So freedom of conscience in the sense can be defined as an ability to lead our life on the basis of our conscientious belief and the right to believe or not to believe in a religion. If you believe in religion, you should also have the right to conduct the rituals of the religion that you believe in. Now, I think so far we have established the meaning of freedom. And in the second part, we established the importance and meaning of freedom of conscience. And furthermore, we can say that freedom of conscience and religion is a form of negative freedom in the sense that it is it's a, an example of freedom from oppression. I mean, when I want my freedom of conscience and religion, I just want to be left alone. I don't want to be interfered from outside. I don't need to demand things from others. I just want to believe in, in a certain way or not to believe. And then I want other individuals and institutions in this respect. <clears throat> now, how can freedom of conscience and religion be curtailed? We can say at least in two different ways. One way is from other individuals, that is, our friends, our families, our community can interfere with our freedom of conscience and religion. They may create barriers in front of our conscience. They may force us to believe in a certain way, okay? The second and more important uh, way of, uh, or means of uh, curtailing freedom of conscience is the state. As an institution which has the monopoly of using coercive power, state can interfere with our freedom of religion, with our freedom of conscience. Throughout history, we have seen that. Sometimes states adopt a certain religion, right? And they say that this is the foundation of our country and all citizens need to follow our religious beliefs. Sometimes a state can base its foundations on a certain interpretation, certain sect of a religion. All right. In some other cases, state may just try to oppress religion. State may reject religion and try to suppress it, try to create a secular society, try to make everyone irreligious. And um, so this can be done in the name of nationalism, in the name of communism, Marxism, in the name of modernism sometimes. So in any case, individuals, freedom of conscience, 
are curtailed. Now, in the first instance, when our freedom of conscience is curtailed by our friends, our parents, or our community, it may be easier to deal with it. We may seize our relationships with our friends. We may even say to our family, just leave me alone. Don't interfere with my conscience. And we may somehow deal with it. Even with the community, you can leave the community. You can exit from the community that you used to belong if you no longer believe in what that community believes in. However, it is much more difficult to dissociate ourselves from the state of which we are citizens, especially when we think about the world of nation state. Can we easily leave our state and choose to live in another state where we can enjoy our freedom of conscience? This can be done. It may not be impossible, but it is very difficult. As we witness, especially in recent years, many people who are forced to leave their countries who become refugees have big problems uh, to find a peaceful living place, let alone you know, experience their freedom of conscience. So the state has much more power. It can punish us very badly. It can take away our freedom, not only freedom of conscience, but our you know, basic freedoms, and uh, it can take away our livelihoods. So when a state interferes with our freedom of conscience and religion, it is much more costly, very shortly. <clears throat> so liberals, in this respect, think that a state that is based on a religion or a state that rejects freedom of religion treats its citizens unequally and unjustly. So in order to avoid that, we need a secular state. We do not need to have a secular society, but we need a secular legal framework where citizens can have uh, equal access to freedom of conscience and religion. So they will not be discriminated in terms of their beliefs or conscientiousness. So they, a secular state, as citizens, we can believe and experience the rituals our, of our religion, and there should not be barriers in front of conducting our lives according to our religion. The only barriers that can be imposed in front of us must be related with public order and security. I mean, if our rituals, if our uh, beliefs do not pose any threats or any harm to the basic rights, life, liberty, and property rights of other individuals must be tolerated, must be left free. Another point also is related with religion. Our question was that, do we need a secular framework to experience our religion to the full extent? I think one can view that uh, religion or belief is a matter of conscience. And conscience uh, is something subjective. It is not something that can be dictated from outside. Individuals should entertain their beliefs by themselves. They can be advised, they can be taught things, but in the final analysis, the belief 
must be coming from within the individual. So only in a secular state, we can say for sure that individuals do follow religion because they believe in it. In states where religions are imposed on individuals by the state power, one cannot be sure that a person, a, a person who is acting this way, does it sincerely or just to avoid punishment, right? I mean, if there is a punishment when I don't follow a religious rule uh, by the state, then if I don't want to be punished, I will just pretend that I believe in the religion and act accordingly. This is just, you know, a fake, uh, a unsincere uh, behavior. Uh, secondly, one can say that religions are also open to interpretation. And if a state wants to make religion its basis, which interpretation will it adopt? When the state accepts one interpretation, and, and plus, uh, if the citizens disagree with that interpretation, then there can be religious conflict and civil strife within society. So if we want to enjoy peace, and uh, if we want to enjoy our religion in a sincere way, I think the best solution, legal solution or um, political solution, is to have a secular state. Individuals and groups within uh, society can be religious or irreligious. It is up to them. But the state is a political instrument which needs to treat all of its citizens with equal respect should be without a religion in my perspective. So I should also underline the view that this is not the control of the religion by the state. Secularism sometimes is understood as the control of religion by the state. So many religious people, both Muslim or non-Muslim, uh, they detest, they dislike this kind of view, and they rightly do so. I mean, you know, there have been experiences of that kind. For example, the French tradition is based on the control of religion by the state. It is believed that, you know, when religion is left free, it will invade all aspects of the society and it should be under control. But the more liberal understanding of secularism is based on freedom of conscience and religion and depends on leaving individuals free and keeping the state out of religion. So this is the theoretical and, uh, let's say, conceptual framework that I wanted to share with you, dear participants. And uh, if you like, we can now go, go on uh, with questions, comments, and answers. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you so much, uh, Bijan, for uh, your uh, opening presentation on this important question. This discussion is now open for questions and comments. Muhammad Amin says, the fundamental problem in Muslim-majority countries is that specific religious groups capture the state and then wish to use that state power to coerce all citizens to comply with the religious wishes of the controlling group. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And perhaps in the past, this has also been the case for Christian countries, right? The Protestants or Catholics wanted to capture the state power and impose their understanding of religion on the rest of the society. However, after very costly religious wars, they came to conclude that 
you know, this is not a good choice. And religious tolerance and also secular state seem to emerge out of this understanding. In our case, it seems we still haven't got, gotten this idea. In Turkey, it is example from my own country, I can give the example. It is argued by government circles that within the state, there has been religious infiltration, a religious group, and not through political means, but using bureaucratic means, try to capture the state power. So that means some groups may try to capture the state power through elections, let's say, and once they are in power, they use the state and government for their purposes. And some other religious groups may just try to infiltrate the state institutions through bureaucratic means and um, try to use it. I mean, this this has been allegation and it has it may have some share of truth to it. There may be other cases from other countries you may share with us where groups uh, try to capture the state. I mean, in our Muslim societies, we should come to the conclusion that the state apparatus should be there only to provide peace and order. The state should not be distributing wealth. The state should not be promoting morality. It should only provide us security and justice. Otherwise, you know, either religious people will capture and impose their views on others, or let's say secularists will capture the power and will try to suppress the religious people. So either way is not a good solution. Ali Salman says, in Muslim-majority countries, the discussion is very sensitive and we have two types of constitutions, secular and Islamic. Do you have any thoughts on this comparison? Very good question. Thank you, Ali. Yes, I continue to think about this issue as well. From my presentation, you can see that I am close to the view of having a secular constitution rather than a religious Islamic constitution. But even with a secular constitution, I would say that full uh, freedom of religion and conscience must be guaranteed. It does not need to refer to Islam or Christianity or any religion in this sense, but full freedom in terms of experiencing religious beliefs. But some countries may say, okay, let's say we want to base our constitution on religion X, in this case, let's say in Islam, and we will tolerate other religions. We will give other religions full liberty. For example, in the previous centuries, let's say in the Islamic history, Islam has been made the foundation of, let's say, the state. In the case of Ottoman Empire, for example, it was an Islamic state. And at the same time, it provided religious freedoms to minorities, non-Muslim minorities, Christians. And Ottoman Empire system, the Millet system, has provided you know, relative security and freedom to other religions. But my question is that, Let's say we are in the position of minority. How would we feel? Wouldn't we feel in some respects unequal with the majority members of the society? And, and uh, would that be treating the citizens with equal respect? Because 
in the Islamic experience, Muslims were considered to be the owners of the state. Hierarchically, they were superior to non-Muslims. Um, and secondly, which interpretation of Islam are we going to base our constitution? I am not a theologian. I am not an expert on Quran and Islam. But to the best of my knowledge, our religion is also open to interpretation, and there are different sects, interpretations of it. And if we choose one of them, if the state chooses one, then um, the rest of the Muslims, which does not subscribe to, let's say, <clears throat> dominant view, so this creates a difficulty as well uh, for an Islamic state. So in this respect, having secular state may help this. But how about the pluralism? I heard at one point Ali talking about pluralism, right? That is the state, let's say the state will not say that I am an Islamic state. I'm a liberal state and I provide freedom to all groups to carry on their lives on the basis of their own systems. It is Muslims wants to have Sharia courts, then they may have. If Christians, if Jews want to have their own courts and you know affairs based on their religion, they may have. This may be similar to a liberal anarchist society, perhaps. I mean, liberal anarchists say that the state will not exist, basically, right? For uh, anarcho-capitalists or liberal anarchists, there will be no state. The law will be provided by competing agencies. So different understandings of law, legal traditions can be provided. However, in our example, we say that a state will exist. It may have its own secular code of law. And also it can accommodate, let's say, other legal frameworks. Maybe Sharia law, Sharia courts for for those Muslims who want to go there, and for others, for Christians, Jews, you know, according to their own traditions. This may be a very creative solution. I am not sure about its sustainability. To what extent can it be sustainable? But you know, in terms of thinking, in theoretical, let's say, in a farazia, I don't know if this is the right word, but in a you know, hypothetical situation, we can think about this and we can maybe talk about it. So my um, solution, as I said so far, is closer to liberal secular constitution with full freedom of religion and conscience. But I am open to discussion for other options as well. Abdul Basset Bahadur says, thanks for the topic, but I have a related question that if the origin of freedom, whatever its kind, was from an Islamic source, do we need secularism to govern it? So do we have the source of all freedoms in Islam? And also, still, if we call it as Islamic state, do we have equal respect to all members of our society? Uh, would be my answer. I mean, we may say that all freedoms are based in Islam as well. Let's say freedom of conscience is available in Islam. There is no compulsion in Islam. Or um, one can get out of religion in Islam as well. You know, the irtidat, uh, 
right? That is the right to exit from religion. This is a controversial issue, I know. Uh, some more liberal interpreters of Islam thinks that it is able to get out of religion and without losing your life, without a heavy punishment. But still, let's say, even if we accept that all freedoms can be found in Islam, if we base our state on the religion, on Islam, non-Muslims may feel that they are discriminated. They are not equally respected. That's my view. Abdel Basset Bahadil follows up. In a majority of countries, we see that secularism is the only way to achieve democracy and freedom. But what we observe is that Islamic countries that seek to adopt secularism live on the reality of problems and challenges. Here I can ask the following question. Do we need a platform that leads Muslims to live in peace and freedom without looking for another approach? Example of secularism. Why do we have problems? Why do we have conflict with secularism and Islam? Also, that, that, might, that might be my answer to, to your question. I mean, if you think that Islam has the source of all freedoms, then why do we think that secularism and Islam are conflictual with one another? I think those who think that secularism somehow conflicts with Islam think and believe, may believe, that some of the things that secularism promotes are unacceptable from a religious point of view. The most important of it is the right not to believe. What do you think? I mean, freedom of conscience and religion and secularism that is based on it gives us the right and freedom to believe and not to believe, in my view. In an Islamic state, can we also provide this right to not to believe? Those liberal interpreters say that we may, but still the question, does an Islamic state treat all its citizens with equal respect? Meaning, I mean, let's say a, a non-Muslim or a non-believer, would that person feel undiscriminated and equal? That is my question. Imad Ad-Din Ahmad says, I agree with the presentation, but I think we must emphasize that a range of particular religious groups seeking to establish their religion through the state also apply to a secular government, wherein the secularists may use the state to impose a secular way of life, insisting that religious freedom only applies to private practices. This is the problem in France, for example, where public symbols, head coverings, are restricted. I agree with Imad Ettin Ahmad totally. That's the case with France, and that used to be the case with Turkey. Uh, in my presentation, I tried to emphasize that the state can interfere with freedom of conscience and religion in two ways. One way is that the state can adopt a certain religion and try to impose it on the citizens, and citizens may feel oppressed. You know, they may not believe in that religion, or they may believe in a different sect. So this is curtailment, curtailing the uh, freedom of conscience and religion. The other way of uh, curtailing this freedom of conscience and religion is by oppressing religion. The French way that is controlling this uh, religion by state is another way of interfering with freedom of conscience and religion. This has been also the case in Turkey in the past. I mean, in order to create a secular society, the state wanted to control religion and Religious symbols were prohibited from public square. For example, headscarf used to be prohibited in Turkey. It is not permitted. This is a progress in the right direction. 
in my view. The current problem is rather encouraging or promoting religion through using public sources. That might be another problem as well. This is still not imposition of the religion by the state, but if the state tries to promote religion through public resources, I think that would still be some encroachment of freedom of conscience and religion of the citizens. It would be unfair for non-believers or for non-Muslims to promote Islam through their uh, tax money. That, that, that is, uh, I think, in my view, problem in Turkey, especially with respect to promotion of uh, religious high schools. Uh, the numbers of uh, religious high schools are increased to a great extent to most, according to most views, uh, more than the demand in the market. And these are publicly financed uh, schools. I would say this would be unfair. Muhammad Amin says, the right not to believe in God is a fundamental human right. Any state that denies it cannot call itself free. I agree with Muhammad Amin's statement. If any state prohibits it, then it is not a free state. I agree. He continues that, The problems in France derive from history because French liberalism was created in direct opposition to control by the Catholic Church. Yes, I think we need to familiarize ourselves with also the historical background of societies. What historical events made the French people, uh, French seculars, let's say, to be so sensitive about religion and so guarding themselves from religion. The prior mistakes of religious authorities may have been influential in that as well. I mean, we know the Vatican Church, the Papal Church, used to be in uh, politics. Um, not only religion, but they were also in politics and controlled to a great extent uh, lands and wealth may have created a backlash. So the reaction was not directed only against the church, but to religion in general. So I think we need to promote an understanding of religion, that religion is individual matter, and individuals freely can come together with other believers, and they can establish their communities, they can promote their beliefs, and want to live according to their beliefs. But the state should not promote them or hinder them. The United States comes close to the model I think I am also defending here. In the United States, we see that the state does not interfere with religious groups to a great extent, not totally. Imad knows much better than I do and may comment on that if he likes. But basically, there is more freedom of religion freedom of religion and conscience in the United States than many other places. And also, there are religious people who want to influence politics. So we need to be careful about that as well, and we need to defend full freedom of religion, but at the same time, uh, defend the secular political sphere. We should not let religious people capture the, the state and impose their understanding of religion on believers and non-believers. Ali Salman says, Do you see any fundamental shifts in Turkey's constitution during Ergen regime from secularist to more Islamic? No. The answer is no. In terms of constitution, you, one cannot say that, for example, there has not been amendments saying that the religion of the state 
is Islam or the state affairs must be conducted on the basis of Islamic rules. No, there has not been also direct imposition, no direct imposition of Islam. However, as I said, I can talk about the promotion of religion by the state resources and also allocation of resources towards more religious purposes and towards more conservative groups. And as a liberal democrat, my position is that the state shouldn't do that. I was very supportive of Erdogan's government when they were trying to expand the fear of religious freedom. In the past, religious Muslim religious people were unable to experience their religious beliefs or to some extent were discriminated. They were not unable to to full extent to experience. Of course, Muslims were able to visit uh, Mecca, uh, the pilgrimage, and five times a day they could pray, etc., etc. But let's say women couldn't wear headscarf and work at the public office or wouldn't go to universities. So when Erdogan government created freedoms uh, or when they abolished those prohibitions, the government did the right thing. As a liberal democrat, I welcome this, I chair, I applaud this as an expansion of freedom of conscience and religion. However, as a person who believes in the secular structure of the state, so to speak, I think that the state should not use public resources and uh, should not uh, make religious discourse its, uh, its main discourse. Abdel Basset Bahadu says, In Morocco, for example, all religions live side by side and are not even belonging, and this is based on respect. But why not see this in secular states' freedom to dress religion and others, that we would say that the source of political and civil liberties of secular background? In Morocco, Muslims are required to follow certain religious rules, aren't they? That is, for example, consumption of alcohol, public consumption. Is it prohibited? Is it or legal to buy and consume in public places, public restaurants? So, for example, is, is a non-Muslim allowed to lead an Islamic way of life? Does Morocco provide this freedom? Adel Basis says, yes, you can buy it. In hotels, I know you can. But are there public uh, restaurants and bars and uh, your Muslim identity uh, as a person coming from, let's say, Morocco or from Turkey? What I'm trying to understand is that uh, whether there is freedom of conscience. And he says, yes, we have. Okay, that, that I didn't know that. My impression was that uh, it was out uh, in public places, in the hotels or other places uh, you were you are able, but in other places, my impression was that you you were not. Secularism, as it is implemented in the United States, allow individuals to have um, secular dresses. I mean, Muslim women can get dressed in an Islamic way, or Jewish people can have their kippah on their heads and work. So I think secular states can also provide those freedoms. Iman Adin Ahmad says, secular states can prohibit alcohol in the US. There are dry towns and countries where alcohol may not be served in public. Also for many years, there was a national prohibition on alcohol. 
And yeah, with this prohibition of alcohol, we can criticize it from the freedom aspect. I mean, it's a secular state by prohibiting alcohol on secular grounds, maybe, not only for religious grounds, but on secular grounds. The United States government violated basic right of individuals, right? Individuals couldn't live their lives they wanted. So that's also problematic for secular reasons. Prohibitions may be also problematic. By the way, uh, just an additional observation. In Malaysia, you, you mentioned about Sharia and its implementation in Muslim countries. In Malaysia, there has been big discussion around Sharia-inspired punishments or, or khudud. And people have viewed that, uh, for instance, if the majority of a state are happy, democratically speaking, in adoption of these hudud, uh, then these hudud uh, should be implemented because people have, by choice, their democratic opinion have favored such punishments. But the other groups have reacted to it. The federal government in Malaysia has reacted to it that uh, there cannot be such uh, multiple, um, uh, that there is to be one law, uniform legal code in the country, and we cannot have multiple legal codes in the country. So sometimes the Muslims, Democrats, uh, question this approach that, well, we are democratically demanding this and then we are not given this right to implement those punishments, which we believe are true. I see. Thank you. Uh, I mean, let's say a state accepted uh, Sharia law as one of the laws. Would that state also accept that Muslims can have the option to be not to be uh, subject to Sharia law. I mean, as a Muslim, for example, living in that state, can I say I don't want Sharia law to, to be implemented to me? I want secular law. Or can I still keep my religion? You know, I want to stay mm. as a Muslim, but I don't want Islamic law to be implemented. Also, can I exit religion? Can I change my religion? If, ideally speaking, if the answers are yes, I mean, yes, you can uh, change your religion without any harm to you. Or if you stay as Muslim, but if you don't want this to be implemented to you, that's also okay. These might be, ideally speaking, preferable in terms of choice, right? Pluralism of choices in terms of legal. Uh, comes close to liberal anarchist ideal. But in many, in many cases, so far, it seems that the implementation has not been this way. Usually, when a group captures the power, wants to make the law uniform, either secular uniform or religious uniform. And, and in fact, I have heard the Islamists arguing that those Muslims who do not want those punishments to be introduced, they can leave that state. They can they can migrate if they don't like to be in that state and follow the Islamic punishments. They are supposedly they have the option of exiting the state itself, but not exiting the religion, but the state itself. Muhammad Sulaiman says, many Muslim clerics consider that secularism is anti-Islam and even they equate it with atheism. Do you think secularism is anti-Islam and secular values are threat to Islamic values? Uh, my answer is no. As I tried to explain in my presentation, we can distinguish secularism of individual and society from secular state. I mean, in a secular state, the members of the society 
can be Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever religion, or atheist, non-believer. In a secular state, individuals will have freedom to experience their religions as long as they do not pose any security threat to other groups by their religious practices. So in this regard, I don't think that secularism is, is anti-Islam. We need to distinguish between religion from politics or from the state as an ethical code, as a belief system, I think, in my view, they are compatible. We can have a secular state and Muslim society, in my view. All right. I think we we can actually move to the concluding parts of this webinar. We have followed this question of do we need a secular legal framework for protection of faith? That was the basic theme of this webinar. And Bijan um, Shaheen has explained his position that uh, he favors a more secular legal framework, which he considers important for religious freedom itself. And then we have heard about some questions and comments from the participants. And is there a final thought, Bijan, would you like to sort of uh, share as a wrapping up concluding remarks before we sign off? Basically, yeah, you summarized my position, and uh, I'm also open to debate the option of pluralism. Malaysia is presenting an, an interesting case uh, in this regard, and both pros and cons of this model, I think, should be discussed definitely. There is always room for improvement. Thank you so much, uh, dear participants, and uh, thank you so much, uh, Bijan, for giving us this uh, very important and informative uh, presentation. And I also thank participants uh, for their questions and comments. Um, and at this point, I'd like to close this webinar. And I wish you all a nice evening or a nice day, depending on your time zone. Uh, goodbye from Islam and Liberty Network. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This webinar is brought to you by Islam and Liberty Network. If you are looking for more, you can find it on our website at islamandlibertynetwork.org. And if you want to help us, there is a donation button on the site. Thank you for your support, and we hope you found it interesting.